use uh, the acronym of the CNN story, and afterwards it was retracted, um, deleted, and the editors responsible were fired, as, as well as the network apologized for the story. Um, the target of this, one of the targets of the story, except the apology, the president went on Twitter this morning and repeated that CNN was fake news. Why isn't their response good enough for the president? Uh, I, I don't know that it's that the response isn't good enough for the pro president. Uh, I think it's the constant barrage of fake news directed at this president probably that uh, has garnered a lot of his frustration. Um, you point to that report, uh, there are multiple other instances where uh, that outlet that you referenced has been repeatedly wrong and had to point that out or be corrected. Uh, there's a video circulating now, whether it's accurate or not, uh, I don't know, but I would encourage everybody in this room and frankly everybody across the country to take a look at it. Uh, I think if it is accurate, I think it's a disgrace to all of media, to all of journalism. I think that we have gone to a place where uh, if the media can't be trusted to report the news, then that's a dangerous place for America. And I think if that is the place that certain outlets are going, particularly uh, for the purpose of spiking ratings, and if that's coming directly from the top, I think that's even more scary uh, and certainly more disgraceful. And I hope that that's not the direction we're headed. I hope that uh, outlets that have continued to use either unnamed sources, sometimes stories with no sources at all. Uh, we've been going on this Russia-Trump hoax for the better part of a year now with no evidence of anything. Uh, things like the success at the VA barely get covered. They may get covered for an hour at a time, but this story gets covered day in, day out. And I think America is frankly looking for something better. They're looking for something more. Uh, and I think they deserve something better from our news media. I agree. I most definitely, definitely agree. There. You are listening to SASS, Starseeds Angels Savant Syndrome, with your host, The Mystic Man. Here, how are you? I hope you're doing good. And I hope you liked last episode. Actually, the last episode I did was a hit. It was a, a major hit. Uh, it got like... I don't even know how many listens immediately, actually, which was pretty funny because uh, in the title it said CIA. And yeah, in any case, I figured I'd follow up to the end of that. We never got to finish. If you haven't listened to the last episode, I suggest you do. You're listening to Starseeds, Angels, Savant Syndrome with your host, The Mystic Man. Thanks for listening. My news model is based on social media companies showing you videos. Why did Facebook penalize me? I click the button that says, see why. It goes to a page from a group called Climate Feedback that writes about climate change and claims to sort fact from fiction. Facebook gives this little group power to cut me off? Yeah, Climate Feedback posted this statement in quotes as if it's something I said and calls that statement misleading, saying it misrepresents a complex reality. 
Well, it does. But I never said that. I actually said climate change has made things worse. California's warmed three degrees over 50 years. Facebook's letting activists restrict my views based on things I never said. Now, Facebook's a private company. It can censor anything it wants. And I feel for Mark Zuckerberg. Do you see a potential problem here? People from all sides accuse Facebook of favoring the other side's posts. A pervasive pattern of political bias. So you fact check on any ad. But there's no way Facebook can police everything. The site carries billions of posts. I wish they'd just let the information flow. People will learn to sort truth from lies. But what Facebook did to try to please politicians is let other people censor. We work with uh, a set of independent fact checkers. That's how climate feedback gets its power. Facebook says, I can appeal, but my appeal must go to climate feedback. I tried. I emailed the editor. She didn't respond. But two of three scientists listed as reviewers did agree to interviews. You're smearing me based on something I didn't say. Yeah, I mean, I've never commented on your article. That was a shock. He hadn't even seen my video. If this is implying that we have reviewed the video, then this is clearly wrong. There's something wrong with the system. He said my video was probably flagged because I interviewed environmentalist Michael Schellenberger. Climate Feedback doesn't like his new book that criticizes environmental alarmism. My assumption is because Schellenberger pops up in there and his statements have basically been shown to be partially wrong. This issue has become very political, uh, which is unfortunate. Zeke Hausfather is another climate feedback reviewer. He hadn't seen the video either. I certainly did not write a climate feedback piece reviewing your uh, segment. So we sent him a link to my video, and he watched it. Is that a fair label on the video that I did? I don't necessarily think so. You know, while there's plenty of debates around how much to emphasize forest management versus climate change, your piece clearly discussed that both were at fault here. After Housefather and Dorr admitted that Climate Feedback hadn't shown them my video, Climate Feedback's editor finally responded to our emails. She gave us an email address where we could file a complaint. When we did, they wrote us back that now, finally, they have watched the video. But they stand by their smear because the claims don't accurately reflect scientific evidence. Also, both scientists I interviewed emailed me afterward to say they do support Climate Feedback's position. Housefather writing, after talking to the folks at Climate Feedback, he now thinks my video minimizes the role of climate. Ah, that's what this is about. I interviewed Schellenberger, who argues... A small change in temperature is not the difference between normalcy and catastrophe. And Climate Feedback doesn't want people to hear that. It's enraging that Facebook gives these activists the power to silence one side of the debate. Once upon a time, there was a young, athletic boy, hungry for success, for whom winning was everything. And success was measured just by winning. One day, the boy was preparing himself for a running competition in his small village, himself and two other young boys to compete. A large crowd had gathered to witness the sporting spectacle, and a wise old man 
upon hearing of the little boy, had traveled far to bear witness also. The race commenced, looking like a level heat at the finishing line. But sure enough, the boy dug deep and called on his determination, strength and power. He took the winning line and was first. The crowd was ecstatic and cheered and waved at the boy. The wise man remained still and calm, expressing no sentiment. The little boy, however, felt proud and important. A second race was called and two new, young, fit challengers came forward to run with the little boy. The race was started and sure enough, the little boy came through and finished first once again. The crowd was ecstatic again and cheered and waved at the boy. The wise man remained still and calm, again expressing no sentiment. The little boy, however, felt proud and important. Another race, another race, pleaded the little boy. The wise old man stepped forward and presented the little boy with two new challengers, an elderly frail lady and a blind man. What is this? quizzed the little boy. This is no race, he exclaimed. Race, said the wise man. The race was started, and the boy was the only finisher. The other two challengers left standing at the starting line. The little boy was ecstatic. He raised his arms in delight. The crowd, however, were silent, showing no sentiment toward the little boy. What has happened? Why not do the people join in my success? He asked the wise old man. Race again, replied the wise man. This time, finish together, all three of you. Finish together, continued the wise man. The little boy thought a little, stood in the middle of the blind man and the frail old lady, and then took the two challengers by the hand. The race began, and the little boy walked slowly, ever so slowly, to the finishing line and crossed it. The crowd were ecstatic and cheered and waved at the boy. The wise man smiled, gently nodding his head. The little boy felt proud and important. Old man, I understand not. Who are the crowd cheering for? Which one of us three? asked the little boy. The wise old man looked into the little boy's eyes, placing his hands on the boy's shoulders and replied softly, Little boy, for this race you have won much more than in any race you have ever ran before. And for this race the crowd cheer not for any winner. You see in life, in your life, what are you running for? Are you hungry for success? Is winning the only measurement for you in your life? Who are you running against? And if you always win against everybody, then soon the people will stop cheering for you. At the end of your life, if you look back, the question is, who was running next to you in this race? If they were weaker and old, did you help them to get across the line? Did you all finish together? Because that is the best race you can ever run. So run, run this race 
cold life. But don't forget, it is not important if you win. It is important how you run this race. This is Dare to Do Motivation Stories. Thanks for watching and stay blessed. Welcome back. I know it's been a long year, hasn't it? And at the same time, it seems kind of like it flew by pretty fast when every moment took eons. At least that's what it was for me. Done a lot of work this year with no pay for it except my freedom our freedom, your freedom and that goes no matter where you are on earth because the imposing powers that be are irresponsible evil psychotic Pedophiles, actually. Cannibalistic files. And I would say that that does seem crazy. You know, there was a, a, a woman who came to me and said that earlier this year. I think it was January-ish. And I did not believe her at all. I, you know, I was open to the possibility of it. <laughs> but I, was, I just brushed it off. I was like, oh, yeah, okay. Really? You know? really serious and like I, I kind of hurt her feelings and um, she was actually very beautiful and um, I didn't listen to her because I didn't want to look and that's the thing is that if you don't want to look you're not going to see you know that's how it goes I battled a lot and the ideology of that thesis. I don't know who started it, but I'm beginning to think it's uh, Abraham Hicks. I don't know. And I've read Abraham Hicks books, uh, not all of them, you know, from Esther and um, Jerry Hicks. But I've read some of them, and I totally loved it. You know, I did. I really did. And I probably know and listen to more of the speeches than most of the general people in the spiritual movements going on online who really love all of that. You know, I, I grew up with that stuff. And... tell you if something logically undeniably becomes a dynamic that is bad that hurts people by default it's human Does not mean that it does not exist, but does not mean that they're a fake. 
What does it mean? Perhaps that aspect of positivity uh, only and ignoring all the negative in your life, maybe that worked more in the case of like theory in practical senses. say that Middle part 
very good. That one I love. I love that little scene. Beautiful. The way it came together, it was perfect. I was, um, for the audio, I had been walking uh, one night and I just recorded. And that was actually for this podcast. It's one of the episodes, one of the first episodes of this podcast. And I said a bit that just came to me and it um, when I put it together with the music, it overlapped perfectly, perfectly. And I threw some scenes, some video scenes on there and it, I thought it really went out very well, very good. But yeah. In any case, Robert Emmerker, much love, amazing work. You don't know that I'm saying. You don't know that I'm saying. You don't know that I'm saying. What? My God, how do you not know that I'm saying? What not that I'm saying? Satan made it good, but did the snake got you? Got you. Venomous enemies under my heel to crush the skull of the beast. Skull. That's my prerogative, said it. Yeah, so, so what? So what? Redemption, the lesson I send him fast, like when you censor my speech. You gotta not. eat out the ground from my tribe. Call me Big Kahuna, dude. Cup of Huna kind. I abide. I not a I. I squash you without it, vibe for humankind. Try to fuck with one of us, and we all go green light. You told me, lightning like Michael Vick's going light up the sky. Ask me why. I ain't even surprised. I said it again. Said it thrust before we fight a dimensional man. My ancestors bought me wisdom and prophets they ride. With a magic carpet ride. Direct angelic down with the content made out was a nine. Like five, eight, and They what? What? Shake my head like I still had dreads. Nah, tell me not. Tell me not. Like a much magazine got by her off top. Oxymoron, man, like trying to flood at the dam. Trump drop hammer, troop tweak on land. See me with my halo flying high above spam. Why you act like money never got it on bad? Yeah, you heard it on the news, now you all confused. I tell you the truth, so that's all I ever do. You don't fuck me, so it gets me populating you. Used to believe the mission, till I seen what it done to you. Press don't fuck with me, I'm that check, I'm that check review. Now CCP and Fauci dress you up like a fool What? I said it, you seen it, showed it up on the screen Yeah, I wish you saw what I seen Well listen up when I speak Already published about it All that shit you never read All that shit you never read You don't wanna look, but you do wanna talk wanna you talk. never could listen, so I'll put you on spot Instead of choking you on the Fauci and CDC cock CDC Not trying to mock, I just mean god damn Tell me not to shake my head. Tell me not. Bed said yes. Tell me not. Huh? Tell me not. Shaking my head like the bed said yes. Tell me not. Tell me not. Hella damn crazy with the news telling lies. What? Scared or something safer than a motor scooter ride? Then 201 Google search that shit. Yeah, they ain't even hide it. Ain't that a bitch? Molly gaslighting like a blind monkey trick. Gaslight the science like with Judy and Michael Bits. Judy Michael Bits. All right, 
Well, let's jump right back into this. Thank you for joining. I made a shortcut for you. If you type in 1111.gives, that's G-I-V-E-S, G as in goat, or Gary, or glue, slash four, that is 1111, so 1111.gives, slash, the number four. And it will take you straight to, well, not straight to, because technically it's a short link, it's a loop, <laughs> but it'll take you to the CIA.gov website, where it is your right to read this document along with me, or at your leisure. This link will not be up forever, because I paid for the uh, the domain uh, 1111.gives, so, you know, it's like, I don't remember exactly when um, my ownership ends, but it'll be up for as long as that. 1111.gives slash four. And it will take you to CIA.gov to the Declassified Document Covert Action Information Bulletin. The CIA and the media, which we are going to read right now. I, you know, I, you'll have to forgive me. I don't remember exactly where I left off. But I remember it was pretty far. And, yeah, this is a very long document. And it's very well written, actually. But I think I'll start at page 10. How about that? Yeah. So it says here, um, in a carefully staged command performance designed to keep the network cameras rolling, Senator D'Amato, R-N-Y, so Representative New York, I believe, and the FBI, CIA, DEA, and other federal, state, and local narcotics and investigative agents introduced a self-confessed Cuban, quote, spy, end quote, to an audience of credulous New York journalists in early April. <clears throat> so this was some time ago, mind you. This is referring to a publishing in this publishing, which is referring to, yeah. So, yeah, this is uh, whenever that Cuban thing was going on. Spy to an audience about April. But this time, Mario Estevez Gonzalez, who had testified in open court in Miami only two months before, was melodramatically hidden behind a guarded screen for his own protection. That's in quotes. For his own protection. The same federal informer who was described by the Miami Herald as a short, stocky, Mariel refugee with notifications and a chubby, balding witness who stuttered, who was seen by millions, including those in Cuba who wished to watch Miami TV, was now tantalizingly secreted, secreted, 
from New York cameras in a downtown federal building, thus exciting the unwarranted interest of the media and moving the Cuba drug connection to a new low in disinformation. Few of the journalists knew or cared that this was old news. Apparently, unaware of the Miami trial and Estevez's previous shroud, they stood at hushed attention, filming a screen as the Spanish and then English translation wafted across. That night, TV audiences across America were treated to clips of D'Amato's questioning to the screen. The following exchange took place, but was not telecast. How much money, uh, question, how much money do you make for Cuba by selling cocaine? Answer, approximately seven million in one year. Next question, how did you process work? Answer, I got the cocaine from Cuba or from Colombian ships in Cuban waters. Took it by cigarette boat, which is a long, narrow speedboat, which goes 70 miles an hour, from Cuba to Miami and then sold it and took the money back to Cuba by cigarette boat. Question, how long did the whole process take? The answer, 30 days. Question, how many trips did you make? The answer, I went two to three times a month. No wonder Diamato and, or however you say that, and the feds are hiding Estevaz from inquiring eyes. Anyone who can make a 30-day trip three times a month is really... <laughs> Anyone who can make a 30-day trip three times a month is really worth questioning a bit more closely. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's funny. <laughs> Oh my god, that, yeah, that one flew over my head at first, I'm sorry. <laughs> Through similar contradictions in his testimony, uh, though similar contradictions in his testimony were pointed out by defense lawyers in Miami to no avail, the press still failed to pick up the grossest of inconsistencies. inconsistencies. But at one point in the New York sideshow, even the gullible had to chuckle. Estevaz's claim... Uh, uh, claimed that although most of his cocaine was bound for New York, he had made only one delivery there personally, to Studio 54. In brackets, the specter of a dumpy little drug dealer slipping into a New York disco <laughs> with his baggies wouldn't have cut ice with the journalists, but then they couldn't see him anyways because he was hiding behind a screen. Another major flaw in the federal scenario is Estevaz's was arrested with marijuana, and not even in the same case as those he was paid to testify against. In addition, cocaine was never mentioned in the Miami trial. Hmm. The charge of Estevez that among the 125,000 Marielitos invited into the U.S., by then-President Carter were 3,000 Cuban undercover agents, at least 400 of whom were dealing drugs. Wow, wait. 
let's see let, let me see that again um, he invited into the u.s by then president carter three thousand cuban undercover agents three thousand i didn't even know there were so much that could just be like afforded that much back then at least 400 of whom were dealing drugs. That's a lot of undercover agents dealing drugs. Uh, like himself, practically brought D'Amato to his feet. These, end quote, these 300, 400 Cuban agents show there is a pervasive, no, pervasive, sorry, systematic movement by Cuba to destabilize our cities, he said. Furthermore, the Senate mused if Estevaz was delivering seven million a year to Cuba and Cuba is making two billion dollars eight hundred million on these agents news to Cuba of course as the stories get wilder and wilder and investigative journalists get increasingly docile the US government has unfortunately learned that the press will believe anything told to them as long as it comes with the protective coloration of quote national security end quote <laughs> Rupert Murdoch's gutter paper ran a three-part series entitled Castro's Secret War by Arnaud de Bourgraf and Robert Moss the articles by these sleazy fabricators <laughs> not only repeated the basic charge of Cuban involvement in the drug trade, but also gave minute details, names and dates, and, and alleged meetings. Not sourced, the, quote, facts, end quote, presented were that several middle-level drug smugglers had meetings with Raul Castro and Nicaraguan however you say that, leader Daniel Ortega. I'm sure the OGs out there already, they know all this stuff. I, I mean, I know these names sound very familiar to me, but I was a kid back then. No, I wasn't alive back then. Maybe I was, I don't think so, though. They hinted that this information might have come from a Colombian smuggler named Jamie Gil Gillet? Gillet. Coyote? Coyote. Yeah. Coyote. Oh, like the chicken? <laughs> okay. Um, indeed. Coyote. I'm saying Coyote from now on. I think that's what it says, so I'm saying it. Coyote starred. It means chicken in Spanish, by the way. I think. In the next chapter of this saga, when in July... Reader's Digest ran a five-page article by a Nathan M. Adams based on unnamed, quote, law enforcement and intelligence sources, end quote. This expose even more detailed than the Moss de Borkagrave tribe alleged that Gallo met with Rene Rodriguez, a member of the Central Committee of Cuba and the president of the Cuban Friendship Institute and that Rodriguez was in charge of coordinating the smuggling. 
It further claimed that Gallo traveled from Colombia to Cuba to Nicaragua, meeting with the Raul Castro and receiving huge sums of money. That he was given $700,000 in Mexico for a flight to France. But that he was arrested by the Mexicans, whereupon he began talking his head off in quotations, providing all the details for the article. What happened to the money, the money, rather a large sum for a trip to France, and why Gallo was never extradited to the U.S. are not explained. Later reports suggest that Gallo was released by the Mexicans and went to Europe. In August, the drug story gained further dubious currency as the Washington Times, Irvin Moon's paper, reprinted the original Post series. By November... VOA was picking up the theme again, and just before the U.S. congressional elections, Vice President Bush made a Republican campaign speech in Miami, which reiterated the charges. Hot on his heels, on November 5, 1982, a Miami federal grand jury issued an indictment against Gallo, which was what we explained earlier. Nine other drug smugglers, mostly Cuban exiles, and, in an unprecedented move, four Cuban officials, Rodriguez, an admiral of the Cuban Navy, and two former officials of the Cuban embassy in Bogota, one of them the ambassador. Eight of the nine smugglers were arrested in Miami, and one of them, David Lorenzo Perez, testified against the others. His statements, similar to those attributed to the Gallo in the earlier articles, and those of another unindicated dealer, a self-described reformed Cuban spy, Mario Estevaz Gonzalez, were the only evidence against the Cuban officials. In fact, no drugs were actually introduced at the subsequent trial. It was said the drugs were all thrown overboard when the smugglers panicked. The Estevaz confession, according to his own testimony, was given in exchange for quotations, an unspecified amount of money and a short jail sentence, end quote. In another drug case, the payment is extraordinary, almost unheard of. Four Cuban officials were indicted on the statement of a man who was paid to make the statement. What, if anything, happened to Gallo is not known, but it was reported that his drug-dealing partner, who also cooperated with the U.S. Justice Department, got a 25-year jail sentence, all of which was suspended. Although the indictment describes in great detail the movements and travels of the exiled drug dealer, the references to the four Cuban officials are extremely vague. It alleges that they agreed to let Cuba be used as a loading station and source of supplies for ships transporting drugs. The indictment Eight counts in 19 pages says nothing else about the Cuban officials. It does not say when this agreement was made, where it was made, who met with whom, nor who said what to whom. In the February 1983 trial, okay, so that was way before I was born. Yeah. Five of these seven hapless defendants were found guilty on the testimony of the alleged former spy and the indicted smuggler who turned 
state's evidence. The two told similar tales of back-slapping jovial meetings with the Cuban officials who they claimed said things like, Now we are going to fill Miami with drugs, and it is important to fill the United States with drugs. As if Miami was not already filled with drugs. The spy said that he replied, Well, if it has to be filled, let's do it. (laughs) Oh. Okay. Evidently, this B-movie dialogue. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It's so beautiful. They got that there. Yeah, it's true. Evidently, this B-movie dialogue was sufficient to convict five of the defendants who presumably were involved in some kind of drug trafficking. The use of this trial by the U.S. government was blatant. There was no concern about Miami's drug problem, only about Cuba. When Lorenzo Perez agreed to plead guilty and testify against the others, the spokesman for the Drug Enforcement Administration announced that when you have people pleading guilty, it just disproves. <laughs> the denials of the Cuban government. And when the five were convicted, the assistant U.S. attorney said that the outcome, quote, demonstrates the involvement of Cuba. The Cuban government indignantly denied the charges pointing out in government statements and broadcasts and in editorial in Grandma the idiocy of the charges. The Cubans also stressed and uh, stressed a point which had been virtually ignored in the U.S. press, that for more than 10 years, despite all sorts of ideological disputes, Cuban authorities have been cooperating with the U.S. officials in tracking and capturing drug smugglers in the Caribbean. At least 36 ships and 21 planes had been taken in this endeavor. And more than 230 drug smugglers prosecuted because of the insulting and and spicuous indictment, the Cuban government announced that it was discontinuing its cooperation with the U.S. Coast Guard. Mm -hmm. I hear that. Even Michael Ledin, another disinformationist, pretended to be puzzled in his rehash of the Guyotte story in the February 28, 1983 New Republic. That's italics, so it is a paper. He conceded that Fidel Castro used to boast of his hatred of drug traffickers. He even cooperated with the United States by arresting some smugglers and turning them over to American authorities. But consistent with this season's disinformation theme, the dean refers to the current situation as a turnabout, designed to provide hard currency for the Soviet Union. There are countless other indications that it is the U.S. which is more interested in propaganda than in actually stopping drug traffic. During the aftermath of the Pope's shooting, it was learned that Bulgaria had been cooperating with the U.S. narcotics controls officials for 12 years, but that the program had been terminated by President Reagan shortly after he took office. Interesting. I didn't know that. This is important history. 
kind of like what's going on right now actually only a lot more hardcore uh right now is i think quote project democracy end quote and public diplomacy conclusion On June 8, 1982, in an address to the British Parliament, President Reagan announced a new ideological offensive to turn the tide against the communism in the battle for the mind of the world's population. Designed to foster the infrastructure of democracy in a dozen ways, it clearly enlisted information as its top recruit. Charles Wick said there would be a new assertive propagandistic role to win the war of ideas. Oh god, I don't like where that's going at all. Problems with this deformed no, um sorry, I skipped ahead. <clears throat> Let me read this little thing for you here actually. It's got this little box thing. Uh it says spy budget increase. The Raison d'etre for the Cuban drug disinformation story becomes appallingly clear if one reads the newspapers in which the spy agencies selectively display their dirty linen. According to the New York Post of April 5, 1983, the same day as D'Amato's coordinated sideshow, the Tadri Daily reported that President Reagan is planning to give U.S. intelligence agencies millions in new funds to crack Cuban spy and drug rings operating in the U.S. The Post went on to say that Reagan made the request in the administration's secret 1984 budget for intelligence agencies, and that Senator Daniel Moynihan said that news of Reagan's request comes as a former Cuban intelligence agent testifies today in Manhattan about how he raised three million the testimony was seven million for Cuba by smuggling drugs into the US. Now how we ask is a request for more funds for the CIA, FBI, etc. made in a secret budget. Secondly, Unless we're missing something, the CIA is still forbidden by the National Security Act to work against Cuba or any other country inside the U.S. Perhaps Reagan believes his Executive Order 12333. I, I don't know that one. We gotta look that up. Un it unilaterally repeals the act. Finally, how come Reagan is already leaking 1984 Orwellian plans? Isn't 1983 bad enough? <laughs> uh, 1984 was a book by George Orwell. That's what that is. That's what he's referring to in his statement of Orwellian plans. It was a very good book. It was one of my favorites as a kid growing up. 1984, definitely read it. There was, yeah, I, you know, I had no idea it was a famous book at all. I found it on a bookshelf when I was a kid, and I um. It was in the second place that we moved to, and I, I, I just saw it. Really big bookshelf, all, you know, at least like five uh, shelves, you know, bookcase, I mean. And I loved that book. It was powerful. Read it. Read it, and you will understand. 
It's called 1984-1984 by George Orwell. And it was a futuristic kind of scene, written in the 30s, mind you. But it basically talked about today, these days, more or less. I mean, way different, of course. Thank God. But it talked about everybody being spied on through their TVs, all kinds of stuff, you know. And a lot of fascism. Moving onward. The Wicked Wick of the West. Elsewhere, as the Democracy Project unfolded, there were references to information as a vital part of the strategic and tactical arsenal of the United States. Wick, again, pictured ideas as the only useful weapons that could be shot at an enemy in the absence of hostilities, such as the Radio Marti Venture aimed at Cuba. Other government officials elevated public diplomacy to the status of a diplomatic and military policy in serving the needs of national security. But all spokesmen insisted that the United States at all times, quote, must speak the truth clearly, vigorously, and persuasively. End quote. Since truth is the first casualty in war, whether total, limited, or ideological, as Woodrow Wilson put it, how is the Reagan administration planning to pull off this miracle? They are not planning to, in all probability. What they are doing is building a new Trojan horse so that the covert programs of deception, fake propaganda, slanted information and disinformation can move forward without being under the suspect auspicious of the CIA, DIA, and others of that ilk. Project Democracy and Public Diplomacy are clearly a rehabilitation process for government propaganda in an attempt to restore information manipulation under new sponsorship. Will it work? Will you believe it? Or are you ready to be fooled? First of all, the proposal was born with original sin. Conceived in secrecy as a classified executive order, Project Democracy can hardly live up to its claim of democratic openness. A CIA covert feature initially existed in the plan, but was withdrawn. Or so we in Congress are told. Still, National Security Council Decision Directive 77 placed the program under the National Security Assistance Control, where it is to support U.S policies and interests. Those chairing the top four committees come from agencies with long-term commitments to secrecy and the protective cover of classification. But there are more serious problems with this deformed Reagan progeny besides the wartime psychology that gave it birth and the secrecy with which it was raised. On its face, the idea is implausible because American foreign policies and the CIA operations have not evidenced any connection with an infrastructure of democratic principles, except as they are manipulated to suit the purposes of the U.S. democracies have had empires before. 
oh excuse me of, of the u.s and then period sorry democracies have had empires before from athens on whatever the u.s may call its overseas political economic and cultural mission its support of client regimes its overthrow of leftist dem democratic governments its active support of moderately authoritarian authoritarian right-wing allies its backing of powerful multinational corporations none of that has ever been analyzed internally for its democratic following the credibility of any government's information must inevitably be tested against the deeds as well as the rhetoric of a nation what chance would the democracy institute have to gain access to the truth it insists it will disseminate how will it now know it is not part of the cover story the way Adlai Stevenson was used at the UN during the Bay of Pigs the very administration that is increasing classification unleashing the spy agencies and restricting freedom of information now says it will spread the truth to the world to enhance democratic values out there tell that to the people of Chile it says since the new proposals budgeted at 85 million this year call for a heavy reliance on non-governmental institutions it is interestingly it is interesting to examine what has already been funded one grant helped media officials from right-wing governments including El Salvador learn how to handle the US press Ian McKenzie a slick ideologue who was registered agent for Anastasio Somoza is directing the program at a cost of $170,000 to the taxpayers. Mind you, this is back in the 80s. It says C to the CAIB number 12, whatever that is. <clears throat> Another grant gave Ernest Lefevre's Ethics and Public Policy Center almost 200000 to run four seminars pushing the ethics of nuclear arms as these democratic projects went up to congress many of them smacked of the cia's old bag of dirty tricks finally getting laundered i've never heard that term a worldwide book publishing venture a center for free enterprise is business a democratic institution it says in brackets a foundation and organization to promote Latin American quote, democracy and academic programs at two foreign universities. Huh. The announced objectives, such as leadership training, sound like recruitment for covert futures, as the CIA does routinely with foreign students on American campuses. Yeah, hey, didn't we just have that with China? right project democracy is the soft core version of hardcore deception it is time the american people took a good dose of their own history to begin to understand that what ails this society one benefit might be a revival of old-fashioned american skepticism towards authoritarian authoritative pronouncements history has rebuted the uh, 
enactment of disinformation's origin as a KGB plot, and traced its 20th century development as a hidden partner of the imperial process and national security apparatus. We have learned that propaganda intruded itself into the democratic process long ago. The most important lesson of history's warnings, however, would be an understanding of what went wrong with information in the past to help people resist the inroads of further deception. Next time the government floats a story, demand in each instance to know why it is propagating this information, whose interests it is serving, and what is being concealed. Then perhaps this country can abandon the process of government by the misinformed. I agree. You know, I think we're going to have to do a, st- uh, a uh, third episode. This is going on. This is a very long one. I might just do a whole season uh, off of this. What am I at? Page 13? And it, it goes into the next one, which is, once I saw that headline, I don't know. <laughs> that sounds really intense. I've uh, I've scanned through it before, but I've never really read through the whole thing. It says... The KGB plot to assassinate the Pope. A case study in free world disinformation by Frank Broadhead and Edward S. Herman. And yeah, I didn't even know that. I mean, I've read some of the mention in here, but I I don't know the whole story or much of the story. Let me let me uh quote a little part from it. Just a little part that I just saw, and that'll be a teaser. Methodology, the pseudoscience of terrorism. In his political hysteria in America, a study of the Red Scare of 1919-1920, Murray B. Levin describes the methodology of the Lusk Report, a famous classic in the pseudoscience of terrorism, as follows. The data is presented without any effort, serious or otherwise, to evaluate its validity or relevance. Generalizations and conclusions unsupported by the data are sprinkled throughout. The pseudo-scholar proceeds to laboriously accumulate vast numbers of details and documents. Some of the details and documents refer to facts. Some of the details are fiction. Nothing remains unexplained. Simultaneity is taken as proof of cause and effect. Vast historical forces are assumed to be set in motion by the mere will of a few monstrously evil but brilliant men. They pull puppet strings and duped and complaint, compliant millions act out of their will. Wow, and that was back in uh, 19, 1920. It says, This is a fair description of the essential qualities of the two NBC programs and of the writings of Claire Sterling, whose articles in the Reader's Digest got the Bulgarian connection rolling and who served as a consultant to NBC in the preparations of its programs. That's back then, huh? Or, well, no, that's, um, that's in the 80s, I guess. 
by our account, which considered only the more egregious statements, the NBC program of September 21st, 1982 included the following forms of manipulation. Ten counts of pure innuendo. Thirteen counts of pure opinion or speculation. Eleven counts of inference based on no known evidence. Nineteen counts of deceptive statement based on suppression of fact. Sixteen counts of fact which NBC ignores in drawing its conclusions. And six direct misstatements of facts. How about that? You know, I've seen a lot this year, too. In the media, it's amazing, you know. And uh, if you look closely, you can see the times when they slip up too. Very well. To be continued. I think I'll have to do a number three. I'm sorry, but you can go ahead and please do read this. You can read it. I I made a short link for you if you remember. Do you remember? That's okay, I got you. 1111.gives, G-I-V-E-S, slash four. That's the number four. So, 1111.gives, gives, slash four. And that'll take you right to it on the cia.gov website. Now, mind you, you cannot buy a... Dot gov. Um, what do they call that? Uh, TLD. I think. Right. You can't just buy those. You have to be government to have that. There's no. I can't fake the CIA website for you. I I don't even. I can't even really like you know, build the website too well. You know, really, I need help, and it takes me forever. You know, so. I'm just a dude who's doing research, and this is a really good little document, declassified. I think it's very full of information that's very pertinent, especially considering the fact that at one point it was classified. So, yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, I think that it's uh, pretty good. They did a really good, really good uh, job writers the authors they put together a lot of very well organized data of course nowadays everybody's in their denial mode and that was kind of brought on too i would say i saw it in multiple avenues in society i tried to combat it i tried to stop it before this happened you know, I, I was in the spiritual movements, and I saw in the spiritual movements all kinds of stuff coming up, up trying to prepare people to look away from anything that might make them feel negative. And you know what makes a person feel negative? Cognitive dissonance and information. It would give them a headache. And the more they looked away, the more insane they would be. Because they wouldn't know the truth, and they would be holding on to the truth. I mean, the falsehoods. They would be holding on to their beliefs. Struggling. I know, because I, I, I deal with this every day, and the people around me. You probably do, too, if you're listening in. 
God bless us. God be with us. Dear Lord, send your angels to guide us, to watch over us, to protect us, to shield us, and to lead us to the truth. Help us to share the truth and reach others and help others to wake up. It's 2020. There's got to be more people with actual vision, seeing things for how it is. More than us. I think the best thing that we could do out there is find each other. Really, I think that's probably been our greatest ability, or our greatest help this year. To find each other. I believe that the CIA and other agencies need to stop their lying. I don't care what kind of excuses they come up with. This is obviously a trip down to hell, and they're bringing everybody with them. These excuses are demonic. Pathetic. They lack integrity. They lack dignity. And the reactiveness can be seen in the actions. They are not adult. They are not mature. They are not human. And then it has to come to how is your free will? Still got it? Good. Free will is the nature of man. It comes from having an integrity, a stable pillar within yourself. Knowing who you are. When you know who you are, you know what you want. You know what you will not stand for. This is why I promote self-discovery. I always will. All humanity. Holiday travel alert now. As nearly 40 million Americans take to the road for the 4th of July what? holiday, the Secret Service is warning about a certain <laughs> crime at the gas pump. And then gas pump. To steal credit card numbers. Thomas explains. Here is the appear to be tampering with the gas pump. There's only takes a few seconds. Some Just like that, installed a device called a skimmer. Customers would never know it's there, but shit. a skimmer is capable of siphoning off credit information and sending it wirelessly to fraudulent. Oh. And we're talking about thousands of customers. Now listen right up so that you can hear. Naturally, Mr. Man flowing in your ear. First of all, Trump, now he don't eat this. But you glad Hillary didn't win the races. We hella much suffered. And we hella much died. It's time to blow the whistle on your shady ass lies. Elon Channel Tesla just a fuck what you thought. You said depopulation, buddy, put you on spot. Mark Zug don't give a fuck that the news talk shit, cause they freed the whole world from your shady ass bitches. From being brainwashed by you bitches. 
2016, I had the same password for everything. One email and I clicked on everything. I could look in my spam list because I want 100 grand. I'm thinking, what the fuck? I'm not trying my luck. This thing that I know, I got a sick phone when I then back a beat pop up everywhere that I go. Now everybody on the deep web know my IP and zip code. Should've got a October with the Thunder New World Order. And then 201 Google search that shit. Ain't even hiding in that bitch. But when it comes to the whistleblowing Michaels, they shit on the Constitution in the sense of shit. Every corporation stuff about you. Tell me how you gonna fact check what you hide. How you gonna fact check why you hide? Even being in the best, I ain't even oppressed. 